please take your Bibles on this beautiful Lord's Day and open them to Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. This is the second of two extended parables in Mark. Mark doesn't have a lot of parables, but there are two that are extensive, longer parables, and this is the second of them. And its unique placement here near the end of his gospel should draw our attention to its importance. It is still Tuesday of Passover week. We've been trying to follow this timeline through the last week of the Lord's life in this gospel, and it's still Tuesday. Jesus is at the temple speaking to a group of religious leaders that we know as the Sadducees, members of the Sanhedrin who had questioned his authority to come into the temple and overturn the tables and run the money changers out. That's the context of this passage. And this confrontation with the Sadducees really only serves to escalate the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of Israel that will ultimately lead to his crucifixion in just a few days. So with that context and setting laid out before us, let's read beginning in verse number 1. And he, Jesus, began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another And him they killed, and so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. Verse 6, he still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing And it was marvelous in our eyes. And they, the the Sadducees, were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. God, we ask your blessing upon this reading of your word. Take the words of this mouth. Lord, in the meditations of this heart, 
and make them acceptable in your sight. Come upon us now with your Holy Spirit. Illuminate this text so that we may apply it to our hearts and be changed for the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen. Now, one of the mistakes that we often make as Christians uh, when we read the Bible or even when we're listening to a sermon like this one is thinking that when a passage in the Bible addresses a specific group like the religious leaders of Israel, like this passage does, then somehow it doesn't directly apply to us. You know, it's the old, he's talking about them, not me, trap that we fall into. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We've all known what it's like to sit in a church service and hear a sermon preached, and that preacher's railing, he's going to town, and we're thinking, yep, that applies to that brother sitting over there in that corner. We are masters at applying Scripture to everyone else's life but our own, aren't we? Well, this passage is a rebuke of the corrupt Sadducees in first century Israel who rejected Jesus. And guess what? Let me state the obvious. None of us are Sadducees in first century Israel. But friends, apart from the grace of God, we are all Sadducees at heart. We're all Sadducees at heart. And everything that these verses teach about the religious leaders of Jesus' day is true of the Christian leaders in our day. It is true of the people in the pew. It is true of the unbelievers in the street. We all have fallen, corrupt hearts. And if we reject the salvation that is offered to us, In the person and the work of Jesus Christ, friends, God will judge us for our unbelief. That really is the main point of this passage. So I want us to work through it together using four main headings. And the first is that corrupt hearts disregard the work of God. Corrupt hearts disregard the work of God. These are in your bulletin. I think they are. Jesus speaks to these corrupt Sadducees in a parable. A parable is a story that illustrates truth. And Jesus likens Israel to a vineyard. No doubt he's alluding to Isaiah 5. You might want to jot that chapter down. Isaiah chapter 5. Where the Lord condemns Israel's corruption as a fruitless vineyard. Israel is the vineyard here. But here in Mark 12, it's not the vineyard that the parable condemns. It's the vineyard keepers, the tenants. Your translation may say something like vine dresser or farmer, or if you're reading the King James, it will say husbandman. These are the religious leaders of Israel, the Sadducees in this immediate context. God had entrusted His people, His vineyard, 
to its religious leaders as the guardians of the faith of Israel. But instead of leading Israel toward faithfulness and greater fruitfulness, they wielded their power and control over the worship of God in the temple in a way that used and abused the people of God for their own benefit. Remember, all of this, what this the context, the greater context, is this immediate fallout after Jesus comes in the temple on Monday and turns over the tables and runs the money changers out. The religious leaders were corrupt. They were false shepherds. They were false shepherds. But this was nothing new. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord says through the prophet, The priest who handle the law do not know me. And the shepherds have transgressed me. Ezekiel 34, verses 2 to 5, say this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak have you not strengthened. The sick have you not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for the wild beast. My sheep were scattered. That was Ezekiel's indictment against the religious leaders of Israel in his day. And these shepherds of Israel, the vineyard tenants in the parable, were still acting the same way in Jesus' day. And friends... The same is true of our day as well. Pastors, Christian leaders who are not guarding the faith of the church, but instead they're teaching false doctrine. They're allowing false doctrine to infiltrate their Sunday school classes, their children's ministries, their youth ministries. As long as the the room is filled... They don't really pay attention to what's being taught. Tickling the ears of the people for their own profit, they use and abuse the vineyard that they are entrusted with. They disregard the high calling of the work to which God has called them. But you know what? It's not just Christian leaders and pastors and church leaders that we need to see here, is it? It's us sitting in the pews. Are we disregarding the vineyards that God has entrusted us with? For most of us, that means the spiritual vineyard of our homes, 
Are there corrections that need to be made in keeping and making Christ the center of our home? You see, we can hang a sign on our door that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that means little at all. It's easy to say Christ is the center of this home. Much harder to live that out every single day. Especially when the worldly pursuits of our lives indicate that perhaps Christ is not the center of our homes like we claim Him to be. Friends, we need to guard and cultivate the vineyards that God has entrusted us with and not disregard this great work. Secondly, we see here in this passage that corrupt hearts refuse the warnings of God. We refuse His warnings. Verse 2, When the season came, He sent who? The owner. The owner is who? The owner is God. God, the owner, sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took Him, and they beat Him, and sent Him away empty-handed. Verse 4, Again, He sent to them another servant. They struck him on the head, treated him shamefully. Verse 5, and he sent another. And him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. Friends, notice the progression of violence. Notice it. They started out with just rejecting the servant and sending him away. Then they started beating the servants. Then they started killing the servants. In this parable, the servants are the Old Testament prophets that were sent by God to warn Israel's priests and leaders that their faithlessness would be judged. But they refused those warnings. In fact, they did more than just refuse the warnings. They even persecuted and killed the messengers. Hebrews 11 says that the prophets were stoned. They were impaled. Some were even sawn in half. Very possibly referring to the death of Isaiah, who may very well have been sawn in half. Cut. Church tradition says that it was even a wooden saw that they may have used. Jeremiah was beaten. We know this from his own book. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was thrown into a pit. In a 40-year ministry, he had two converts. Listen to the scathing rebuke of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse number 51. He says this, You stiff-necked people. That alone would get you kicked out of most churches today. You stiff-necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, Stephen said? And they killed 
those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Friends, Stephen, you can read this, Acts 7. Go home and read it today. He said this in a speech before the high priest, before he himself was stoned to death. See, friends, we do not want to be warned of the impending judgment, so we shut our ears to the truth. We pull out our phone in the message and start scrolling Facebook. We shut our ears to the truth and even persecute those who bring it. Friends, this is why that we can fill a church to hear a man tell the congregation how much God is for them and the wonderful plan that he has for their lives. But the average church in America, somebody just take, that's a blessing right there. Somebody go ahead and get that. That's awesome. That blessed me. I know that's not Facebook, so, yeah. The average church in America where the Bible is faithfully expounded week after week in sin, judgment, and repentance are boldly preached. Friends, those places are by and large ghost towns. Look at all the empty space in these pews this morning. And the preachers who preach such truth are often labeled as intolerant, judgmental bigots. But what about us today, friends? How do we respond when God sends warnings our way? Through His Word, through His servants. Do we refuse to hear? Do we plug the ears? Do we, do we leave the church? Do we find somewhere else to go where the messages tell us what we like to hear? They make us feel better about ourselves. Do we refuse the warnings of God? Corrupt hearts do. Corrupt hearts refuse the warnings of God. Thirdly, in this passage we see that corrupt hearts reject the Son of God. See, it's not about the prophets. It's not about the vineyard. It's about Jesus. It's about the Son of God. Look at verse number 6. He had still one other, the owner. That's what the he refers to. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, They will respect my son. The tenants were evil. The servants that God sent were rejected. They were killed. But in His great mercy and love, there was one more that He could send. His beloved Son, the darling of heaven, 
Friends, this is the unfailing love of God on full display. The progression of violence that we saw from the tenants is matched and even consumed by the progression of God's mercy as He sent servant after servant after servant until finally He sent His only beloved Son. For God so loved the world that He gave, what? His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him might not perish, but have eternal life. Surely the tenants would honor the beloved only begotten Son. But they didn't. Verse 7 says, But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. The idea is that the tenants believed that because the son had come as the rightful heir, that the owner had died. (laughs) You see, that's what's going on here. Because the son had now come, he was the rightful heir of the vineyard. That has to mean that the owner was dead. And so they think if they kill him, they can just seize the the vineyard for themselves. And here we see the fundamental sin of man, don't we? We want to rid ourselves of God. One commentator says this, What is the sum title of human history if not the attempt to rid the universe of God? What is the sum total of human history but the attempt to rid the universe of God? The 19th century German philosopher, you've you've heard his name before, Friedrich Nietzsche. He was speaking of the intellectual and scientific progress of the Enlightenment period during the 17th and 18th centuries, and he once said this, quote, God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him, end quote. And friends, it's going to take more than a popular movie called God's Not Dead to undo that. Because the ultimate goal of the sinful human heart in every generation is to rid itself of God. To rid human existence of the reality of a divine creator, a lawgiver, and a judge who will hold us accountable for how we have lived our lives. You see, we want the vineyard. We want total, autonomous control of our lives. And when God sends His prophets, we refuse them. And when He sent us His Son, we killed Him. Oh, we'll be religious like the Sadducees. We'll go through the motions of religion. We'll go through the formalities of worship, all while rejecting the beloved Son because we want the vineyard for ourselves. We want God on our terms. 
I wonder about us this morning here at Park Bible. Is this how we, is this how we want to live? Just because we sit in these pews week after week doesn't make us right. The Sadducees governed the temple worship. And they hated Jesus Christ. Do we want to live free from divine accountability? That's what this parable is really about, isn't it? We want the vineyard for ourselves, and so we kill the son. Thinking that if we can just get rid of the owner is dead, like Nietzsche said, God is dead. We don't need a divine creator anymore to explain the universe. Science can do that. God is dead. So now if we can just get rid of Jesus Christ, the vineyard will be ours. Lastly, this parable shows us that corrupt hearts receive the judgment of God. Corrupt hearts receive the judgment of God. Look at verse number 9. Jesus is speaking here. He says, in this parable, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. See, see, no, no matter how hard we try to rid ourselves of divine accountability and take the vineyard for ourselves, even killing the beloved son in the process, friends, there is always a reckoning. My dad used to call it settling up. God is going to settle up with us one day. The owner watched in merciful patience while his servants were beaten and killed. He watched as his own son was murdered and thrown out. But now he's come to do business with those evil tenants. And friends, note note the violence of this language. Jesus says that he will destroy the tenants. In Matthew's parallel account, he says this, He will put those wretches to a miserable death. That's Matthew 21, verse 41. He will put those wretches to a miserable death. This is fierce. The judgment of God is not something to be trifled with. We don't like to think about it, do we? Nevertheless, it is a reality that must be frequently set before us. God will hold each and every one of us, whether you're six years old or 96 years old and everywhere in between, He will hold each one of us accountable for how we respond to His Son. But... It's not the vineyard that is destroyed, is it? The vineyard is not destroyed. The tenants are destroyed. My watch is beeping at me right now because I think my heart rate's jumping. It is the the tenants who are destroyed. Remember, the vineyard is the covenant faith of Israel. 
And Jesus says that the vineyard will be given to others. Think about that. The vineyard will be given to others. It will be taken from those who it was given to and given to others. What does that mean? That means that Israel as the people of God will be fulfilled in a new people. The church where Jew and Gentile are no longer two. There's no longer a separation. There's no longer a dividing wall of hostility that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. But now they are one in Christ as the true Israel of God. That's the language that Paul uses in his letter to the Galatians. The true Israel of God. The vineyard is given to others. And now Jesus roots, he grounds this entire parable in Scripture. Jesus is always grounding and rooting everything he says in Scripture. A lot of preachers could take a lesson from that, myself included. He says in verse 10, Have you not read this Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the headstone, the capstone. Your translation may say something different. Jesus is quoting straight from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. Psalm 118 is messianic. The implications are obvious. The stone who was rejected is the Lord Jesus. He is the Messiah that the prophets foretold. He is the one rejected by His own. And He is the one who will be vindicated and become the chief cornerstone. And all of this was by the sovereign plan of God. Jesus said in verse 11, This was the Lord's doing. And it was marvelous in our eyes. Think about what he's saying here. The rejection of Jesus as Israel's Messiah was part of God's sovereign, eternal plan to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's you and me. We're here today because the stone was rejected. (laughs) And the vineyard was given to others. Friends, this is a bleak parable, isn't it? There is a vineyard that is neglected and abused for its own profit, the profit of the tenants. The servants are rejected. The son is murdered. And finally, judgment is rendered. But here in verses 10 and 11, there is an anchor of hope that even the wicked actions of man are part of the sovereign plan of God to bring His Son to His rightfully exalted place as the chief cornerstone, the one who holds all things together by the power of His Word. And Jesus says, quoting quoting Psalm 118, it is marvelous in our eyes. The mysterious plan of God that sovereignly reigns over the sinful deeds of man. Think about that the next time you hear the news and it's all negative. And it seems like the world is out of control. 
God's eternal plan sovereignly reigns over the sinful deeds of man. This is a beautiful hope for all who have eyes to see it. Do you have eyes to see it this morning? Finally, in verse number 12, they were seeking, they, there is the Sadducees, these chief priests, the elders, the members of the Sanhedrin, they were seeking to arrest him. This is Tuesday of Passover week. He dies on Friday. Things are heating up. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. They were smart. They were picking up what he was putting down. Jesus is like, I'm talking about you. So we need to be careful the next time we read a passage of Scripture or hear a sermon and then think about somebody else. Friends, Jesus is talking about us. Everything that He said in this parable only escalated the tension with the religious leaders in the temple. But what about us today, friends? What about us? Have the truths of this parable created a tension in our hearts toward Christ or towards truth or perhaps towards me? Do we see ourselves in this passage or are we too busy applying it to somebody else? Do we think that this is just about the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day or do we see ourselves right here in this parable? Friends, I pray that by God's grace, the rebellious and corrupt tendencies of our own stubborn hearts are exposed this morning here in this parable so that we are driven to Christ. You see, they turned and went away. They left Him and went away. What will we do this morning? Will we turn and leave Him? Or will we run to Him with arms wide open to the murdered son and the rejected stone? Friends, I want to urge you to come to Christ. I don't, I don't know our hearts. I don't know my own heart. I do know this, there are people who have sat in church for 70 years plus who do not know Jesus Christ. There are people who watch this live stream every week. There are people who watch John Hagee or David Jeremiah. Those, really, those names shouldn't even be mentioned in the same sentence, I understand. There are people who watch Christian programming every week who do not know the beloved Son. So I make no assumptions. Embrace the murdered Son. Embrace the rejected stone this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray 
that you would bring conviction upon our people. Bring conviction upon me. Let's bow together in prayer.